January, <coughs> excuse me, even in our preaching time on the importance of getting out and telling people about the Lord. We had seven out on visitation last Saturday. I thank the Lord for that. And as we go closer through the year, get further along through the year, uh, I pray that God will allow us to become more and more involved in reaching our community. Our theme this year has been to make a difference in the area of our community uh, for the cause of Christ. And the more we can get out and share the gospel with people, the more God can make a difference in their hearts. And so we're looking forward to that. Page 241, (coughs) excuse me, the lesson starts off, The greatest news in the entire world is the message of salvation. Amen. We We could end the lesson there and have had a good night. The greatest message in all the world is the message of Amen. Are y'all excited about that? The greatest message in all the world is? And we are excited about that, aren't we? Because God has given you and God has given me the great, great privilege of taking this gift of salvation and just giving it away. I mean, we get to walk up to complete strangers and say, I've got something that is so valuable, and I'm going to give it to you, and it doesn't even cost you a dime. Wasn't that a wonderful thing? Are you excited about it? Are you thankful for the fact that God allows us the privilege to do His work of sharing the gospel everywhere we go? The greatest news in all the world is salvation. Jesus died to pay for our sins. He rose from the dead. And he offers forgiveness to all who will trust him as their Savior. We've gone to great lengths to preach on that even recently, uh, as recent as this past Sunday. And how the importance of the fact that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't just believe that he can, we trust that he will. We put our our hope in him, we put our faith in him. And uh, that's all we're trusting for our salvation. (coughs) So he offers forgiveness to all who will trust him. We call this the gospel, the gospel. And the gospel means good news. That's what the word means, literally, good news. Now, it's interesting because a lot of times the way that the gospel is portrayed to someone who is unsaved is in a very uh, non-loving, if you could call it that, very bad news type of a flavor. Uh, People have been uh, known to walk up to somebody and say, well, brother, if you don't Uh, If you don't uh, get saved today, you're going to die and go to hell. And the emphasis is on the payment that they'll have if they don't get saved. I'd rather start off with saying, you know what, we're already condemned. What I'm here to tell you is the good news. The good news is God has made a way for our, our condemnation to go away. I mean, we don't have to be condemned anymore. We don't have to be headed to hell anymore. We get a chance to go to heaven now. We have an opportunity through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the great price that was shed on Calvary, we have the great, great, great gift of having all of our sins forgiven and forgotten as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again, and for us to have a home in heaven for all of eternity with our blessed Savior. Amen. That's exciting news. I don't know if y'all are excited about it tonight or not, but I'm excited about it. Because there was one day that I wasn't going to heaven. And there was a day, by the way, that you weren't going to heaven either. But we are now, amen. You excited about it? 
You ready to go? Let's load up the bus. <laughs> Not quite ready yet for some of us, but some of us are ready. But uh, you know what? I, that is exciting, isn't it? I, we we uh, get excited about a lot of things. But salvation ought to be the thing that excites us the most. In all of our life, the greatest news man has ever heard is the gospel story. It's good news, folks. It's not bad news. It's not something we look at and say, boy, I'll tell you, it's really bad. Boy, you're, you're really bad. Off, you're a sinner. Now, people need to know they're a sinner. It's really bad. If you don't get saved, you're going to die and go to hell. And people are. If they don't get saved, they're going to die and go to hell. But folks need to realize that there's a good news to the end of the story here. And that's what we need to share with them. Years ago, my dad was, uh, I've shared this with some folks before. I think I might have shared it here at church. <clears throat> we had a guy got uh, came to visit our church. His name, his mom wanted a girl so bad that when he was born, uh, there were he had all brothers. His mom named him Doris Day Shirley Temple Butner. That was his legal name. And uh, he, they came from Tennessee. They were a rough family and very dirty family and just, just I mean, had been in dr- drugs and, and uh, stolen about everything you could steal. And the, the state of Tennessee kicked them out of the state. They were in the penitentiary there in the state prison, and they said, if you will leave the state uh, and never come back, we'll let you out of the prison. So they let uh, some of the guys out of the prison with the agreement they would never come back to the state of Tennessee. And they moved down to Florida. They lived in three houses during the time that I knew them. And all three of them, when they moved out of the house, they bulldozed the house down. Uh, that's how bad of a situation this was. Well, Tim, uh, Doris, as he was called by his family, uh, one day the, my dad was preaching and the uh, uh, garbage truck pulled up outside. And uh, this guy jumps off the back of the garbage truck, one of the guys that hangs on the back and throws the garbage in. And it was, it was Doris. He came walking in, and about where David's sitting in the back there, we had a deacon named Charlie Dolan <clears throat> sitting back there. And Tim comes walking in, and he struts down the center aisle. And uh, Brother Charlie saw him walking. He grabbed him by the collar and said, Well, wait a minute, where are you going? He said, I want to see the preacher dude. I mean, just out loud like that. My dad's up there preaching. I want to see the preacher dude. And Charlie kind of whispered to him and said, Well, you can't do that right now. You've got to come sit over here, and, and uh, you've got to kind of come over here out of the way. And uh, wait till he's done. So my dad got done preaching. And uh, so anyway, to make a long story short, after the service, he met my dad. And on Thursday, my dad went over to visit his family. And Doris got saved that night. And boy, let me tell you something. When he got saved, he got saved. It was one of those transitions. Nobody ever talked to him or told him about anything he ought to do or ought not to do. The week he came to visit, he had hair all the way down his back, stunk, had dirty clothes on, a big jumpsuit on. Sunday morning, I came around the corner. There was a young man standing there with glasses, had his hair cut, and a plaid polyester suit that looked like he had gotten from Goodwill. And sure enough, it was Doris. And I mean, he was so excited. And my dad preached um, a message, I think, either that week or the next week. He'd only been saved a week or two, (coughs) on the importance of going soul winning. (coughs) Well, Doris didn't know what to do, and so my dad... Uh, met him that week, and he said, by the way, he said, I can't call you Doris. My dad said, I just, I just can't call you Doris. He said, uh, he said, when Paul got saved, Paul got saved, they changed his name from Saul to Paul. And so he told Doris, he said, your, one of your names is Temple. He said, if you don't mind, I'm going to shorten that name. We're just going to call you Tim, if that's okay. 
And so for the rest of my life that I knew him and the rest of his life that I knew him, I knew him as Tim Butner. Uh, but his name was really Doris Day Shirley Temple Butner. And uh, so anyway, he got excited about this thing of soul winning. Heard my dad get up and preach. He's a brand new Christian. He doesn't know any better. He just saw that the Bible said it. And so he said, hey, the Bible says it. I'm supposed to be there. So Thursday night, my dad's up there Thursday night soul winning, getting ready to pray with the folks and hand out the visits we were going to make that night. And sure enough, here comes the old uh, garbage truck pulling up out front, fresh off the garbage truck with his jumpsuit on, smelling like garbage. He jumps off the truck, comes strutting down the aisle. Here I am, preacher. I'm ready for soul winning visitation. He came in. My dad was a little bit worried about it and nervous about it. <clears throat> he, took, uh, he took Tim with him that night and uh, was worried about what was going to go on. Now, on the way to the first visit, he told Tim, he said, Now, when we go two at a time, <clears throat> he said, We have a speaking partner and then we have a silent partner. And he said, The silent partner is supposed to be sitting there praying and uh, asking for the Lord to bless in the time of the visit. And uh, he said, now, Tim, since I'm the pastor and, and you're kind of new at this, the first night out, he said, if you don't mind, I'll be the speaking partner. I'll let you be the silent partner. And Tim said, okay, preacher, that'll be okay. And so they went to uh, the door and knocked on the family's door. They had visited our church, and my dad was following up on them. And uh, he got a chance to share the gospel with them. For about a half an hour, he pleaded with this family. They were certainly, my dad, to hear him tell it, said, that they were definitely under conviction and saw their need to be saved. And two or three times my dad would say, Folks, would you like to get that settled tonight? We can pray right here, right now. You can get that matter settled. You can put your faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ right now. And every time they said, Preacher, we're just not ready yet. We're just not ready yet. My dad finally after a while realized that it was not going to go any further than that. And so he excused himself and they left the house and left uh, the opportunity for him to come back and visit again with them. And they walked out to the car, and the folks were standing at the front door waving goodbye and uh, telling my dad goodbye. And Tim had had just about all he could take. He had been silent as long as he could. He got to the door of the car and opened the door of the car, and he turned around and he looked back at the house, and he pointed his finger at the folks, and he said, i got one thing to say. You lie, you fry, he said. <laughs> And folks, I say all that to say this, so often we cause the world to think that God is all about judgment. And while God cannot, judge, cannot tolerate sin and has to judge it, the sin has been judged. And we have already been condemned. What God has done for us when we go out telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ is, He said, look, it's already been done. What I'm offering you is a way of escape. We need to be able to share the good news of the gospel. Amen? So, all that story, just to tell you, let's be careful how we approach the subject, all right? Somebody look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, <coughs> verses 1 and then 3 and 4. All right, Miss Joanne? All right, I'm going to read verse number 2 just because I, I hate skipping verses if it's not necessary. Uh, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you by the gospel which I preached unto you also 
uh, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. And uh, that's a very important statement. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So he says, I'm, I'm sharing with you the way I got saved. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the Gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he makes a statement here in verse 2 that they're saved by their faith in this if they've not believed in vain. In other words, if it hasn't been something that is just a head knowledge and not a, not a heart knowledge or a placing of our hope, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, it's very, very important that we understand the genuineness of salvation. There are a lot of people, I fear, that pray a prayer, a sinner's prayer, that, to be real honest with you, there was never an act of faith involved in it. And if there was no act of faith involved in it, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It doesn't matter if you've prayed a prayer. If there was no faith involved in it, then we've got an issue with what's happened on the inside here. We don't want to have believed in vain, according to what verse number 2 says here. So we've got to be careful of this. God used someone to bring this message to you, and now it is your privilege to bring it to others. This is what Paul did. He said, the same thing that was delivered unto me, in verse number 3, he says, the same thing I'm delivering to you. The same thing that was told to me is the same thing I'm telling you. And if you say, Brother Greg, I'm not sure how to tell somebody how to be saved. The simplest way is to tell somebody what happened to you. To deliver unto them that which you also had received. Alright? <clears throat> so we're commanded to spread the gospel. When Jesus... Uh, let me back up. I missed a paragraph. In today's study, we discover God's plan for getting His message to the entire world. Your part in that plan and how the Holy Spirit empowers you for the job. Now, the plan is this. We are commanded to spread the gospel. When Jesus came to earth, his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 10, 19, 10. Brother Keith? To seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. He didn't come to condemn. They were already condemned. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if that's God's heartbeat, it ought to be our heartbeat. Amen? All right. Matthew, uh, when Jesus saw the people lost in sin, his heart was moved with compassion on them. Very important the word here. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36. Brother Larry. All right. I like the way it words this. It says he was moved with compassion. The word compassion has the idea of love in action. Love in action. You remember the story of the, um, the Good Samaritan? I've shared this before. There was a priest, a Levite, and then the Samaritan who came along that road that day. The priest uh, passed by on the other side. Doesn't give any indication that he even slowed down or stopped. Says he saw him and he passed by on the other side. And the Levite... The Bible says, uh, looked upon him and uh, was concerned, no doubt. That kind of gives the idea that maybe he at least either slowed down or was a little more interested in what was going on there. But he too also passed by, didn't he? 
And yet the Samaritan, the one who really was at odds with this man who uh, had been beaten because of the, uh, the difficulties between their two peoples and the fact that they hated each other, uh, the, the Samaritan, out of the goodness of his heart, the Bible says that he had compassion on him. That's what the Bible says. He had compassion on him. And the difference was there were two men who were concerned for him. There was one that had compassion. Compassion always leads to action. Always leads to action. I know a lot of people who say, boy, I'll tell you, Pastor, our world is in such a bad shape. I'm really, oh, I'm concerned about the world that we're in. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? What's the answer for terrorism and ISIS? Jesus. Amen? If all the Muslims got saved tonight, we wouldn't have any more terrorism, would we? Wouldn't have them. What about the school shootings? Jesus. What about the homosexual movement? What's the answer? Jesus. So, does the answer lie in Washington? What about these political topics like illegal aliens? What's the answer for that? Jesus. Jesus is the answer. The gospel is the answer. So, who has the opportunity today to fix all of these things? We do. Because we have the good news, we have the gospel. We have the opportunity to take this good news to a lost and a dying world that has the answer to every problem and every decision they'll ever make. Amen? Amen. All right. You with me? You all excited tonight? I mean, we're talking about the gospel. This is exciting, isn't it? All right. It was, the mission, it was for this mission that Christ gave his life. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 28. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36. Do we already read that one? Oh, yeah, move with compassion. Uh, all right, so it was for this mission Christ gave his life, Matthew 20, 28. Ms. Florence? Okay, to give his life a ransom for many. How much did Christ give? He gave it all. He gave it all. We have an opportunity in this world to solve the sin problem. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And how much of it should we give? How much of us should we give? All. All right. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Spreading the gospel is the responsibility of the church. After Jesus was resurrected and before he ascended to heaven, he gave his disciples instructions to reach the entire world with the gospel. We call this the Great Commission. All right? Uh, who's got Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Uh, Miss Jennifer, I'll get you two girls in a minute. All right, Matthew 20, 19, 20. So there's this great commission. Now, when is this commission given? <clears throat> when is it given? What's getting ready to happen here historically? Jesus is, 
ascending to heaven, okay? He's getting ready to leave this earth. His ministry is over. Uh, his earthly ministry is over. And he's ascending to heaven. The last thing he tells these folks is to preach the gospel, go into all the world, uh, to go and preach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and lo, he's with us always. In one of the gospels, he also says, but tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So he gives these instructions. So we know when it was given. Who was it given to? Who was it? Who was he literally speaking to at the time? Just the twelve? Do what? More than just twelve, okay? Just Jews? Everybody, okay? Pretty much everybody's there that uh, had followed him. And uh, we find out later that even the Apostle Paul took this great commission seriously, even though he was not, as far as we know, at the ascension of Christ. The Bible gives no indication of that. And uh, yet the Apostle Paul took this in his ministry as something that uh, certainly was to be followed and heeded. (coughs) So simply put, the spreading of the gospel, the teaching, new believers are the primary responsibilities of the local church. The primary responsibilities of the local church. We uh, shared last fall when we were dealing with the purpose of the local church that the purpose of the local church we find in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And the idea that we are to uh, have some uh, evangel- uh, some uh, uh, yeah, my brain just died. Uh, some prophets and some uh, evangelists, pastors and teachers. There was one other one. What was the other one? I think that might have been it. And uh, But anyway, uh, these folks are giving for the perfection of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And the word edifying, of course, meaning to build up or to build up the body of Christ, to undergird, to build it up. So these folks are given for the purpose of perfecting the saints or equipping the saints, training the saints, or we would use the word maturing the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now let me ask you a question. If the purpose is to edify the body of Christ, that's the end, that's the end goal of these, these verses here, is to edify the body of Christ, which is the work of the ministry. <clears throat> does it build up or does it edify the body of Christ when a a new Christian grows in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ when he's discipled. Does that edify or strengthen or build up the body of Christ? Absolutely. Does it build up the body of Christ when an unsaved person trusts Christ as their Savior? Absolutely does. Builds up and strengthens the body of Christ. They're baptized, they're added to the church, and they're discipled and trained. Therefore, the primary responsibility, or if we could call it the purpose of the church, is for the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we need to be telling people about Christ, seeing them get saved, bringing them into the church, seeing them get baptized and discipled and growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that there's a picture in the New Testament of healthy churches And healthy churches would go out and they would, from door to door, and the Bible says daily from door to door, 
and they would share the gospel. They would talk about these things. And the Bible says, and there were added to the church daily such as should be saved. And so people were getting saved daily. And they were getting baptized daily. And they were being added to the church daily. And they were growing and being matured. And they were uh, having time in fellowship and breaking of bread and spending time talking of the things of God and training and discipling. And as iron sharpeneth iron, they were getting together and having, I guess we would call them Bible studies today, uh, basically is what it would amount to. They were good Baptists too, I believe, because the Bible says they were uh, together in breaking of bread. And so they certainly had uh, refreshments at every time they met together and a uh, time of fellowship. But uh, that is the primary responsibility of the church. Worship is in there, but worship is part of maturing the saints. Giving, giving is in there, but it's part of the maturing or the building of the saints, discipling the saints. Service is in there, but it's part of discipling the saints. The primary responsibility of the church is to see people saved, brought into the church and discipled, and sent back out of the church to do the work that God's given them to do. And I believe a healthy church is one that brings people in. We set them in the pews of the churches. We teach and train them from God's Word, and then we send them. And they go and do the same thing. It may be inside the church here that they do that. Maybe they're still members of the church. They go out and they win people to Christ. They bring them in. They disciple them. They mature them. They help them. It may be that God calls them to a mission field. We send them out of our church to be a missionary. Maybe that they're going to plant a church across the state or down the street in a place where there is no church. Then our church sends them, and we are part of that ministry. And so this is the purpose of a church. A healthy church ought to be doing these things. And so we want to be looking to that in days ahead. Spreading the gospel is accomplished through soul winning and missions. Spreading the gospel is accomplished through soul winning and missions. God has given us a plan to be able to spread the gospel in our own communities and around the world simultaneously. Let me ask you this question. When was the Great Commission supposed to be fulfilled? This is a tough, tough question here. When, when Christ told the disciples to go into all the world, and whether it was the twelve or the, or the many there, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, when did he expect them to accomplish that? In their lifetime, every generation. In their lifetime. And every generation has a responsibility for their generation to reach the entire world. I was writing some VBS lessons today for our lesson times, and uh, one of the uh, topics that we dealt with uh, is in reaching the world. And we used the example of Christ and the apostles, and we used an illustration of the apostle Paul and how they went in in Acts chapter number 17. And uh, they went into a town, and there was a fellow there by the name of Jason who came out and accused them and said, These are they that have turned the world upside down meaning that they had gone into the reaches of the world to take the gospel message. And it was growing like a wildfire. We look at some of these wildfires in the news that, that start out here in California and Colorado and some of these places, and they start as a fire of maybe 100 acres or so, and the next thing you hear in a day or two, they're 20,000 or 30,000 acres. And uh, they call that fire an out-of-control fire. That's what they call it. 
It spreads it because the firefighters are not able to contain the fire. And when it comes to the spreading of the gospel, if we're doing the right thing, the right way, and with God's power, and I believe that's the key, have God's power to do this, then the gospel message in this generation ought to start off in a little one-acre area of Keith the Heights Baptist Church, and the flames ought to be fanned, and they ought to get out of control to where all of the folks that are on the side of Satan that are trying to stop the gospel cannot control it. You say, Brother Greg, that can't happen. Oh, yes, it can. Amen. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, is He? As some men count slackness. The Bible teaches that the arm of the Lord is not shortened. God can do through you and I the impossible. Isn't that amazing? You say, Brother Greg, I can't do something impossible. You're right. Neither can I. But God can do the impossible through us. Is it possible for a revival to start at Keith Heights Baptist Church that was spread throughout the entire city of Festus that even the coldest of hearts are pricked and convicted and shown their need of a Savior? Is that possible? What does it take? The gospel message taken by God's people with God's power to a world that needs to hear it. Amen? Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8. Who's got that one? Reagan? Oh, I'm sorry. Miss Sandy, you've had your hand up like five times. I've not called on you. Sorry. Amen. I like that one. But ye shall receive what? Power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Notice the order. They received power, and then they were witnesses unto them. And then notice the order from there. They were witnesses first where? In Jerusalem. That was their hometown. And then they were messengers to where? Witnesses to where? Judea. Okay, that was the surrounding area. That'd be like maybe the state of Missouri to us, or the county at least. All right, what else? Samaria might be like our state. The uttermost parts of the world be the rest of the world. It started in Jerusalem in a church that not more than probably about 120 people first got together on. They began to pray. And in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. Peter gets up and preaches. And the Bible says 3,000 are saved, baptized, and added to the church in one message. 120 people pray. And with the Holy Spirit's power, that's the key. With the Holy Spirit's power, not their program. Amen? Amen? Not their facilities. I don't even know that they had a facility. With the power of God in one message, 
3,000 people come to trust Christ as their Savior. You think it could happen? It did. It did, didn't it? But it took the Holy Spirit's power. So what is it going to take for Festus to experience revival? For God to spread like a wildfire through this town, what would it take? The power of the Holy Spirit. Anything else? That's all it takes. The power of the Holy Spirit. You long to see people saved? Would it excite you if all of a sudden next Sunday 3,000 people from the community trust Christ as their Savior and they walk through those doors and say, Brother Greg, would you baptize us? Would you all get excited about that? I'll tell you, I'd get excited about it. I'd have to go buy another set of hip waders. I'd get excited about that. All it takes is the Holy Spirit's power. Does it, does it take a message with three points and a pole? No. Does it take a good music program? I know. <laughs> you can't do it without a good praise team. I mean, you really need a good praise team. And, and if you don't have a drum set over here, you're just not going to reach them. That's, that's in the Scriptures, isn't it? That's not in the Scriptures? I know. You've got to get a Bible that's easier for them to understand. That'll do it, won't it? Huh? Yeah? I, if we get some famous person to come and be our guest behind this pulpit next week, I bet a bunch of... If we get the right singing group, oh my, I bet we could get the right sing. We could even sell tickets maybe. At least take a good love offering. And I bet this, this would bring revival. You think so? I know. Let's get us a big tent and a couple truckloads of sawdust. Put a bunch of rough benches out there. And let's have an old-fashioned camp meeting. That'll do it. If we do it the way they did it back in the old-fashioned days, that will bring revival. You think? What is the only thing that is needed to bring revival? The power of the Holy Spirit. And it ought to be the greatest desire of our hearts. To have His power. Not a good joke. Not a good illustration. Not a unique or creative way to hold a service. Simply the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all they had. All they had. But they spent time praying. God had told them to go into all the world. I can only imagine after all that they had seen and heard that they were chomping at the bit 
When Jesus, who's right before their eyes, said, I want you to go and tell everybody about this. And then all of a sudden he starts rising up into the air. And some angels appear and say, as you've seen him go, you'll see him come in like manner. And they saw those things and they were ready to go. But he had said, wait, don't go yet. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you. That's it. Well, if we just raise a little more money, Brother Greg, we could do more things. We could do more things with this church and it would bring more people in the door. If we had a recreation area. I have nothing wrong with the recreation area. I have nothing wrong with playing games and skits and things for VBS. I have nothing wrong with them. Unless we're depending on them to do the work. I can take out ads in the radio station. I can take out ads in the newspaper. I can put banners all over town. I can stand on my head and shoot BBs out my nose. Unless I have God's power on my life. Unless we have God's power in this church. We are beating at the wind. God's work will not be accomplished. Folks, it's that simple. The Bible is quite clear. In fact, it's abundantly clear. We don't even, this isn't even one of those dark sayings that you have to mull over and try to figure out. It's plain. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Is it good to have a banner? Oh, I think we ought to have banners. Is it good to have a VBS and to have skits and decorations? Oh, I think we ought to. But folks, we better not trust that to do any kind of work for God. That better not be what we're relying on. But we better have God's power. This Monday, we're going to be three weeks from Vacation Bible School. Do you think God could do a miraculous thing with our VBS if we would be willing to pay the price in prayer? We'd be willing to seek for God's power beyond anything else. I wonder what He could do with a VBS like that. Next Sunday, we're getting ready to meet for church. We're going to have Sunday school. We're going to have a main preaching service in the morning. We're going to have preaching service in the evening. What if every chair in this place was filled and we had to put extra chairs out for the people who had gotten saved this week? Come to church to make a profession of their faith and let folks know to seek to follow the Lord and believers' baptism, to be added to the church. What would you think if that happened? Would you go around telling everybody, boy, we got the greatest church in all the world? I know, you'd say, we've got the most handsome pastor. He's athletic. He is dynamic. He's got all these things he can do. That, that's what brought those people in. 
There you go. You know what we would say if God did that this Sunday? And I mean this. You know what we would say if that happened this Sunday? I think a lot of us would be shedding tears. And saying what a great God we have. That he would do something like this in a church like this. That he would just choose to put his power, his hand on this church, on these people. Folks, we've been entrusted with the gospel. My fear is that we go around attempting to do the work of sharing the gospel. But we lack his power. Folks, I fear it. Because I know one day we will stand and give an account. Oh, that we would be a church that would long for God to do great and mighty things in this place. We don't need a younger, more dynamic pastor. We don't need a more seasoned or an older pastor. We don't need a better musician or a different song leader or All we need is God's power. That's it. We don't need a more exciting program in the church. We don't need more kids programs or more Sunday school classrooms. We don't need new bus routes. We simply need God's power. God may choose to use some of those things, but that's not what accomplishes the work. What accomplishes the work is his power. You ever been burdened so much that you missed a meal because you were so earnest in prayer you didn't even think about eating? You ever been that burdened for something? The Bible calls it fasting. I don't even know if it's something you plan. I think it's just something that consumes your heart so strongly. You just, the the thought of eating is just not on your mind. It's not on your heart. You You ever get to the point where you've lost sleep in prayer because you were so burdened and consumed by the burden that you couldn't sleep? I wonder if we could be that burdened about having God's power. You think we could do that? You think in the next three weeks we could be that desirous of God's power and Him doing something for our vacation Bible school that this church has never seen before? You think we could do that? Oh, I wonder what God could do if we do that. I wonder what he'd be willing to to pour out his blessing on us. I wonder what he'd do. I wonder what he'd do. Well, we didn't make it through the lesson. Folks, it's important, though. It's important. All right, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for your word.
Lord, time is short. 